Welcome to Beyond the Sermon, and here we are, Lent number one. We have the trifecta today. I know, I know, I know, I know. All right, settle down, settle down. Yeah. We have three sermons, three different texts, so we'll get all the texts today as we're going through Lent one. I'm joined here with Pastor Will Harley. How you doing, Pastor Will Harley? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you for asking. And Pastor Dave Endor from Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. For some reason, I can't access the chat. I don't know why. It, something's going on. But anyway, you guys can access the chat, can you not? I am able to open it up. You're not able to actually see it or I chat. Can it. I can chat for, it says I can chat. Can you type something in there? Sure. Let's see. Let's see what happens. I, I don't see it. <laughs> Do you see it? I see it. He typed something. Okay. All right. Will is going to have a lot of fun today. Nice work. You asked me to type something in there, so I typed something. I see nothing. For some reason, my... Anyway, uh, inside a baseball. But we are distracting you, dear listener, from hearing the goodness that is God's Word and hearing some pastors talk about the goodness of God's Word. So today, Lent number one, Rethinking Religion, where it's a whole series on rethinking religion. If you'd like to do those kinds of series, kinds of things... And so our first reading is Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 8. So let's go, get right to it. It's 1 to 12. 1 to 18. Yeah. 1 to 18. I can read it. I, can, <laughs> I guess I can read. Um, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He called to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham answered, I am here. God said, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains there, the one to which I will direct you. Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, along with Isaac, his son. Abraham split the wood for the burnt offering. Then he set out to go to the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go on over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and loaded it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire pot and the knife in his hand. The two of them went on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, I am here, my son. He said, Here is the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them went on together. They came to the place that God had told them about. Abraham built the altar there. He arranged the wood, tied up his son, tied up Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, I am here. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked around and saw that behind him there was a ram 
caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. So it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you greatly and I will multiply your descendants greatly like the stars of the sky and like the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the city gates of their enemies and your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is God's word. So, Will Harley, you've got center stage tell us all about your sermon for today so um i am doing that rethinking religion series and so the 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 theme for this sunday uh was rethinking tests trials and temptations and uh i uh started off my sermon with um the quote from a um um an anonymous navy seal which said that uh we do not rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. And I, I use that as my introduction, you know, meaning that that we don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we don't we don't dig down deep and and do extraordinary things. Um, what happens is when when going gets tough, when things really start to 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 happen and we're in those moments of tests or trials or things we fall back on what we know what comes natural to us the training that we have and and it's that idea of in the military they train you so you will react and that you fall back on that reaction um instead of falling back on you know running away or or the things of that nature and I said how awesome that is that we see that here in our text with, with Abraham. Because Abraham, he finally falls back on his training. And, and I said, so some of us don't really know the whole story of what, what's, what's been going on. But, but, you know, he's called to leave and come to a place where he, he had never been. Um, he took a little bit of a hiatus and didn't go all the way there when the Lord had asked him to. And the Lord then has to kind of move him along to, to get to Cana as he's there. He's at numerous times, he's lied about, you know, who his wife was because he was afraid of other people and what they would say and how, what they would do to him um, so that they would get to his wife. And so he would say, well, this is my sister. And the Lord had to step in numerous times to, to, you know, keep, bad things from happening to Sarah. And then, you know, he was promised a child and he was old. His wife had never had a child. He was 10 years older than his wife and, and they had never had a child. And, and uh, um, so they, they didn't quite understand how the Lord was going to make this happen. And eventually they get tired of waiting and they take matters into their own hand and they have, um, you know, a child through Hagar, which causes issues. And then the Lord comes and, and says, you know, this time when, when, Sarah's 89 years old and and you have Abraham who's 99 years old you have the the Lord coming and saying you know next year you're going to have a child and and Sarah laughs and that becomes the name of their child Isaac right laughter um because you're going to have this joy and I said, so there's these issues that are going on throughout all the pages of Genesis, you know, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15 to Genesis 17, where, where you have this span of, you know, 25 years where, where the promises, the promises, and, and you see this struggle of Abraham where he, he struggles with the promise because he's not seeing it fulfilled. And it's not working out the way that he wants it to work out. 
And then you get this lesson in 22 where he has the child of promise. This is, this is Isaac. And everything that, that God had promised, that he was going to be a blessing to, to all the nations, that, that through his line, um, eventually the Savior is going to come, that, that Isaac is the beginning of this great nation of people that God had promised. Now, now the Lord is saying, I want you to offer your son back to me. And, and I, I want you to give him back um, as a burnt offering in a place that I, that I will point out to you. And I said, and, and there's that part of us that look at this and say, how could God do that? And I said, we put ourselves maybe into Abraham and we, are think, we think to ourselves, how could God ever ask us to sacrifice our child? There's never before in, in all of the scriptures where the Lord said, you know, child sacrifice was a thing. But now we see, you know, here's the Lord asking that a child be sacrificed. And then I said, you know, we start to think, what was Abraham thinking? And we start putting our minds, our own sinful mind into that. You know, like, how can I do this? How would I ever be able to look at my wife and in, 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 in her face again? How can we, you know, how could the Lord ever test me this way? What if I fail? And I said, and then we start to think that the Lord, he sits in heaven and he sends and allows tests and trials and temptations to come. And that the Lord is biting his nails thinking, I wonder if they're going to make it. I wonder if they're going to succeed or are they going to fail miserably? Um, and they're not going to going to excel and step up. And I said, but that's in reality not what Abraham was thinking. I said, we know what Abraham was thinking when, when he is walking towards Moriah and, he, and his son says, we have the fire, we have, we have everything we need, we don't have a lamb. Where are we going to get the lamb, dad? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide it. The Lord is going to provide the lamb. We know exactly what Abraham is thinking. We know exactly what's going on in his head because he's not rising to the expectation. He's finally falling to his training. He's, he's finally falling back on a Lord who has promised and a Lord who has established and a Lord who has worked with him and the Lord who has, has shown himself to be faithful and good in keeping every good thing that he had ever promised. He's falling back on that training. And I said, and we know, and we can, we can know for certain that this is what he was thinking because in Hebrews 11, we have those exact words that he knew for a fact that if he offered his son, he would still somehow have his son back and he'd be given his son uh, back in life. In fact, he received his son again in life. Um, and so all of these things, these thoughts that we put into Abraham's head as if he was thinking those things, that's our own mind. That's our own sinful nature, looking at the tests of the Lord and the, the, the temptations that come and the things that he allows saying, God is testing us almost at the idea that we might fall. And I said, maybe it's time that we start to rethink these things, that God isn't mm -hmm. testing us in the thought that we might fall, but he is testing us knowing we won't, knowing what he has created in us, knowing whose we are and whose we've always been because of his work for us through his son, who he also provided, through his son, who he also gave in our place, through his son, who also, when, when the knife was descending, he did not stop the offering but he gave himself up for us all that we might be his own. And I, I went from there into to saying, if you don't believe that this is how tests are, I said, I direct your attention to Job. And I, I said, you know, if you take a look at Job, Job is the same. And we see this beautiful opportunity given where, where, where the Lord pulls back heaven. And he says, have you considered, you know, as, as 
God in heaven is talking to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? He is righteous. He's, he is he is he is a righteous man upon the earth, and, and and he will honor and praise me. And and Satan says only because you gave him things, and the Lord allows him to be tested, knowing exactly who Job is, knowing exactly what's going to happen, because this is what God has created him to be, and created inside him in faith. And I said, and so when we are tested, when we are when when temptations come, when trials are there, and and the Lord allows them to happen, and the Lord uses them for our benefit, these are not things for us to fail. And as if God is testing us to see if we can stand on our own, but it is to fall back on Him, as He has given Himself for us, and He has trained us and strengthened us. And then I gave a an opportunity to to kind of go back in my own life, and I used an example of my daughter when she got really sick and she had to go and be taken flight for life to the hospital that was just three hours away. And my wife was in the car and I'm staying back with the other kids waiting for my mom to come so that I could go to the hospital. And we kind of didn't know what was all going on. And I said, you know, I was standing there talking with a member of the congregation and they asked, how could I stand there and still be okay with all of this? And I said, because I know my Lord has it all in control. And the very things that I had been telling my members that, that the Lord has it all in control and you can stand on this no matter what the circumstance I now was able to rely on myself. And that no matter what, the Lord has it in control. And he said, and I remember that day, my uh, one of my members said, well, you know, she might lose her life and then you'll lose your daughter. And I said, I will never lose my daughter, whether I have her for this life or the next, because of the promises of my Lord. And I said, and that is the rethinking of these tests and these trials. Now we are falling back onto the training and the gifts and the promises of our Lord and our Savior and what he does for us and working for us. And that was my sermon. So there was uh, many aspects within the sermon where I, I know I purposely did not venture. And, and that was because I, I wanted to try to keep it um, kind of into the theme, which was not focusing so much on the Lord providing the lamb of sacrifice, which is a part of the text, but focusing on Abraham's approach to finally, finally embracing the faith God had been working in him and strengthening all this time, right? Um, this is this is one of the moments where Abraham shines. <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, there's a couple others in 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 his in his story, but this is a moment where Abraham truly shines. Um, and and you see such a faith that has been nurtured uh, by a faithful God. And, um, and you see this beautiful thing shine forward in this allowance that the Lord gives to him to show it. So that's, that's kind of, and so my law was we look at tests as if God is trying to get us to fail or testing us to see if we will. And my gospel is, no, the Lord is giving us every opportunity to see how far we've come. And and we have the opportunity to see what he continues to do. So. Yes, God's promises are a lot more solid than we think they are. Because here he, he is, <clears throat> Abraham rests on the promise of God that this Isaac is the son of promise. And so he reasons that, well, God's going to raise the dead. I've never seen that before. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead before, but that's the logical conclusion because God promises it. 
And uh, so oftentimes as we as Christians are, we look at God's promises and we say, well, can you tell me something else? I mean, I need something stronger than this because this is actually hard for me to wrestle with. And you go, no, yeah, or tangible. He said, no, you wrestle, you wrestle with this promise and you see where it takes you. And it, if it takes you to relying more on God, Hey, guess what? That's, well, that's where and it takes you, see you. It throughout the text, right? You know, he, he promises the the young men that he comes with, we're going to go over there. We're going to worship and we're going to come back. He, he's not saying, well, I'll come back. <laughs> you know, he, it's, we will come back. His son questions. And then, I mean, you can try to put yourself in, into his son, but I mean, <clears throat> there's just a, there's a beauty in the lesson. I mean, and then you could go even forward from that and say, you know, the lessons that Isaac learned um, that when in this occurrence, what did he learn? He learned in the faithfulness of his God. Um, uh, the, the person that, and the God that, that his father has been sharing with him and his mother has been sharing with him and the beauty of all these things he learns right here. You know, um, I mean, there's a Dad's test. going to throw, throw you away, to throw you to the wolves. If, uh, if God, if this God that you worship tells him, <laughs> so, yeah. so don't ever but think that, don't ever think Abraham is going to spoil you because if God tells you. <laughs> but, but I think there's some, there's truth to, and, and for our children, I mean, and I didn't tackle this at all in the sermon, but if you think about it, there's, there's that beautiful truth of the lessons that our children learn from their parents and seeing them worship and to see their faith and how they struggle on earth and in our own sinful nature, how we may struggle, but yet how also our faith shine through. And, and and relies on the promises of our Lord. And as we live that in the world, our kids are watching it and, and is encouraging to them. You know, they're seeing the race being run in front of their eyes. Um, and, and there is a beauty there. When I think back about, you know, uh, and I did use this in the sermon, you know, and I, I thought back to when I was growing up and we didn't have a lot and we were, and I didn't know everything until I got older and I was told by my mom about most of it. But, but, you know, there were times when we only had $30 left in the checking account and nothing in the savings account. And we were waiting, you know, what are we going to do? And all of a sudden groceries would appear on the doorstep or a check would come in. Cause my dad was off uh, it, serving in the military and he was at camp and they would send a check home. And now we had something to buy something. And I, and I would say throughout all of that, my parents never once said, we cannot give back to the Lord. Never once were we not going to return to the Lord, the blessings that he has given to us. And that was, that was something I always remembered that they, they made it a priority to give back. So in their offerings, in their volunteering, in their whatever, is whatever they could do at the time, that's what they would do. And, and I, I, you know, you think about those things and you're like, what a lesson to learn and to fall back on the training. You know, our God is providing for us every step of the way and, and we are responding in, in the way that we can to the best of our ability and we're not going to remove that. Um, you know, those are just beautiful trials that are given to us. That, that the Lord shows us how far we've come and that Isaac probably wasn't ready for that. Abraham was. But later Isaac's going to have his opportunity when he sends a servant to get a wife for him. And instantly when he sees her, he's going to, he's like, that's my love. That's the one God provided for me. Um, so there's, there's those moments that carry on 
where we see that happen. Dave? Uh, just looking at, at the whole purpose of tests, I, I think that, yeah, it's one of the, to explicitly say something you guys have touched on, you know, uh, there are absolutely times where, you know, the point isn't for for us, it's for the people around us that they get to see something. And and so when we're talking about Job or or Abraham, you know, that Genesis 22 shows up so many times in the New Testament, and, and you wouldn't necessarily think this would be the, the Old Testament story that would be quoted, but it sure. is. This is the one that gets referred to, and that, you know, the purpose of a test isn't for God to find out why, but it's for God to reveal to the world, hey, look, this is what's going on. This, these are my children. These are believers. These are faithful people. And you can think in the lives of, of believers that we've seen. You know, you used your parents as examples. I, I can think of, um, you know, one of my first uh, sick calls. I, I went to see a, his name was Bob. I asked him, how, how are you doing? Which is not a good opening line for somebody who's dying of cancer. <laughs> um and he said, you know, finer than frog's hair. Like, didn't know frogs had hair. Well, that's pretty fine then, isn't it? You know? And and just this this beautiful Christian example of of what it means to know your savior and, and how good that was for a, a vicar to to see and what a blessing and a gift that was for me. And he, he was going through this not for himself because he knew you know, but for the people around him, for me, for his wife, for his kids, for, for all of these things. And, and that's part of what we see with Abraham and, and Isaac, like you were talking about. Well, and, and, you know, there's just, <clears throat> there, there's a beauty in recognizing that, that the trials and the temptations that, um, and the testing that we have is not uncommon from anyone else. And and I think sometimes we think it is. I think sometimes we we say we get it in our head that that we are going through something so extraordinarily hard that no one else in the world has ever gone through such a thing before. And they never will again because I am the only one that that is going through this. And and we fail to realize no, this is these these things that we go through in life, this is because sin is in the world. And and we are so well equipped and and we are so so strengthened by our lord to manage it that the world takes notice yeah. and that is a and and not only do they take notice but they see us through it they see us come through it and they're like how how did that happen how did that happen in a way that we see it happen um and the answer is here's my god and 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 that's why you know when people look at genesis 22 and they say well, how could God ask Abraham to do something as horrible as sacrificing his own son? It's because God was going to use it to get people to heaven. Yeah. And it's that horrible test you know, that allowed Abraham to demonstrate his faith and, and his certainty that gets through to people. You know, if the sinful nature were not so hard-hearted, stubborn, 
and and hateful towards God, God, we wouldn't need that much to get through to us. And so it's not a fault of God that we need that much to get through to us. It's God's willingness to to get through to us. But again, I would say that, you know, Abraham never views it as a horrible thing. And, And I think this is where our own sinful nature looks at it and says, this was horrible that God would ever ask of that, uh, of, of Abraham. And yet we have no indication in the text that, that Abraham viewed this as unrealistic and horrible. We don't have well, any would, indication of anything. We don't have any, in right. what exactly what he was thinking. We just have what he's doing and what he's saying. Right. And you can, you can say from what he's saying, this is what he's thinking. God's got a plan. <laughs> my, my Lord, my Lord knows what he's doing. And that's that's the point. Well, how, and I how often what's, don't we as parents say the same thing? We don't. Is that our sinful nature is so hard that that's what it takes to get through to us? Sure, and that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, they, you have to go to the extreme <laughs> yeah. because, yeah, yeah, the simple things we didn't really understand. Well, but I mean, it's not. And and if you go back and you see how Abraham lived, that's that's not uncommon. I mean, you, you see many times where you're just like, Abraham, just trust in the Lord. So, I mean, all he had to do just, he went to Egypt. He lies that his, his, yeah, the his second wife. time he calls Sarah, his <laughs> sister. Yeah. And then, and then the Pharaoh takes her and says, I'm going to marry her. And he says nothing. And it's like, just rely on, on your Lord. It's fine. Yeah. But he doesn't, and and yet the Lord comes through and shows Himself as faithful for him, and and it's over and over and over again, you know. And then finally, you get to this point where, like I said before, you get to this point, and you're like, he fell back on the training. <laughs> he he the, his reaction was exactly what a faithful person, <clears throat> right? What you would expect a faithful person to do. That was his reaction. The Lord said, and he did. So. And that's important. It's all about God's promises. The same God who promises to Gen- to Abraham in Genesis is the same God who makes promises today. So it's that's where it comes down to. No matter whether Abraham struggled or not, he falls down on God's promises. The same God who promised in the past is the same God who promises now. Right. Which causes us to rethink these tests and trials. Yep. Which moves us. Did you also do the rethinking theme? Were you rethinking religion? Yeah. I was rethinking religion, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, then lead us on to what you're rethinking. I will. Here we go. Romans 8. What shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him, who will bring any accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns, Christ Jesus, who died and more than that was raised to life, is the one who is at God's right hand and who is also interceding for us. What will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powerful forces, neither height nor depth or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, that was my text for today. I, I guess I 
completely got you guys out of the picture here. Here we go. Now you're in the picture. Now we can talk. Uh, as we're looking at Romans chapter 8, uh, I really like this text. I struggled with this one because the last time I preached it was in 2020, August of, 20, uh, of 2020 in Pentecost, and I thought I did a really good job on that one. And so I thought, how can I possibly do anything better than what I preached three years ago? And uh, so that's, was, that was just me getting over myself, so it took a long time do that. The, when I preached on it before, I really talked a lot about uh, verse 35, all the things that could possibly separate us, because the theme was um, never separated but never safe. That was the theme from three years ago. But this time around, I, the question, I used it as a question was a theme, kind of, uh, what shall we say about all these things? And so the introduction was kind of a setup of all of the difficulties that uh, Christians could face, whether it's trying to share Jesus with somebody and you say your life isn't any different than theirs, like, I mean, it's just as messed up as theirs, Why? how could you possibly want to share Jesus with them? Because if you're going to say, you know, you should come to my church because I have everything figured out, but no, you're sitting with there with a trial or a, a problem, and you think, well, I have to get past this trial or problem before I can talk to someone about Jesus or just how, what do you say to somebody who is uh, undergoing a, a you know stage four cancer or something like that? So it's uh, that was the what what are we going to say to these things? And then from there, I went to Paul's question. He asked the same question: What are we going to say in response to these things? And he is going back to referring back to everything he had written before in Romans. So he's talking about how um, mankind is evil and and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then he also says we've all been justified because of Christ and what he has done. And so what can we say in response to all these things? Well, in Christ, God is for us. So that was kind of like my theme that was not a theme. That was the the central thought. In Christ, God is for us. And so we talked about three things where God is. Uh, what does God give? Well, he gives his only son for us. And, because, and then he also gives us all things. And so just an explanation of uh, everything is yours here, even if not everything is yours. Even if you don't have tons of money in the bank account, you have the God who has created everything in your corner. So you could say God gave you all things because the God who owns all things is for you, no matter what you're going through. So you can think of a God who gives, and you can think of a God who says, so I talk about the condemnation, there is no condemnation, a reference back to our um, on Wednesday previous, we're doing God on trial. So the first sermon on that was accusation. So we talked about Job making accusations, Satan making accusations. Um, and so there's no accusations for us. There's no condemnation for us because the one who accuses is the one who can't send us anywhere. God is the one who sends us anywhere. And he has declared because of Christ that we're going to heaven So in Christ, God is for you. So you don't have to worry about any accusations about your sin and your shame because in Christ, God, because I talked about how God gave his son to take care of your sins. And then the third point was um, in Christ, um, God attaches something to you. So I used a picture of the kick me sign that you would put on someone's back. And it's a poor joke, sometimes a cruel joke, but it's really hard to get that off. Well, in Christ, God's love can't be separated from you. And, of course, when we talk about God's love, it's more than just 
his emotions or his fuzzy feelings inside, but what what does he he will always consistently want what's best for us. And this is yours even when and then that's when I brought um brought up the we're considered like sheep to be slaughtered. That's when I brought up all of these external circumstances where you say, does God really love me if he's allowing all these bad things to happen to, to me? And we can say with confidence in Christ, God does indeed love you. Uh, you know he loves you because he sent his son to Jesus to die for you because he gave you all things and so on and so forth. So after all of that then came, and I'm, I know there's a little, there's law bits in there and there's gospel bits in there, lots of gospel bits in there. But then the one law that I was really driving home was the law as a curb where in Christ, these, all of this stuff is yours. Uh, you can jeopardize that by not being in Christ, by not receiving his external word, by not receiving this external sacrament, uh, hearing God's word being proclaimed to you and his forgiveness being proclaimed to you in worship. So don't think that you are more than a conqueror because of something that's done in the past and that you don't need Christ or God's word or or the Lord's Supper anymore. Don't fall to that trap because you this that's the way in Christ is the only way that we are not separated um, from God. God is for us in Christ. And so that was the that. And then <clears throat> to bring it home, sometimes you talk about someone who is straying and they come back to the church and they think, well, do I have to be baptized again because I was the prodigal son or I was the prodigal daughter and I left and now I'm coming back. Do I need to be baptized again? And then a reiteration. No, God has never separated his promises from you. God has never separated his love for you. God has never separated his declaration from you. These things are still true. Uh, your baptism is still valid because you are in Christ. These are things that you brought in Christ. Now you are in Christ again. Um, stay there um, because he has everything for you. He's giving you heaven and giving you new heaven and new earth. Uh, he's going to be in your corner and all of those things. So that was the sermon. Obviously, I mentioned already some of the things I didn't talk about, which was, you know, verses 35 of what are, what is the trouble, what is distress, what is persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. I didn't bring up the election because that was previous in Romans, and since people didn't have that context, uh, I didn't feel that I could really bring up and give it really the justice that it needs. I like that <clears throat> the illustration that you said, you know, we have that sign that says kick me on the back. And and the reason I, I like that illustration and, and I know you, well, maybe you did, but from your explanation, maybe you didn't carry it where I would have carried it. Just in the sense that, that the Lord says, you know, all these, he gives the list of all the things that could possibly come against us. And isn't that the, the major kick me? You know, the sign on the back of us is loved child of God and people can walk by and kick us <laughs> and they, they take your food and they, you know, it's yeah. like you carry this big sign on your back that every, that, that calls you out as someone that, that the world wants to abuse. Um, but the sign never goes away. That's kind of a neat, a neat yeah. illustration. Yeah. And that was not where I was going with that illustration. So that's a really, till next time. I'll use that illustration, or next time you guys can, you can uh, put that twist. But my only, the only aspect was something that you can't get rid of, what's stuck to. Sure. So. sure. No, that's good. It's good. And and I like how you ended it with the law. 
I mean, that is the appropriate. <laughs> Did not end it in the law. It was it was like seventy five percent was the major law because it, it was there in the beginning where it talked about sin and evil and all those things and and uh, but it wasn't ex- explicit like this is sure. here. Here is the where I want to drive this home today. But it's really hard to have a, a law in this text because it is super. I mean, it's just like it is gospel, and you almost feel like as a pastor, if I'm going to preach the law in this, it just doesn't feel like this is the right place for it because this is so good. This is like um, this is ice cream of God's gospel, and you don't want to put some vegetables in here of the law. You want it. You want people to enjoy the ice cream. You want them to enjoy this dessert. Um, for what it is, but you can't enjoy a dessert unless you've had the vegetables first. So you have to have some law in there somewhere. Yeah. But, and, and in, in, in your defense, you know, um, built, and this is where liturgical preaching and having, um, an order of service, you know, having a divine service, a, um, a historical service really helps because before they got to the sermon, there was an opportunity for confession and absolution before you got to the sermon. There was, there was many opportunities to, to cry, Lord have mercy. Right. Um, because I'm undeserving. So, so even when, and I'm not saying your sermon fell short, but if, if you're even in a sermon where maybe the law wasn't as specific as it could have been, or as we would have liked it, there were opportunities in the service where the law was very specific and, an opportunity for repentance was given and absolution was given. And now they get to really hear the gospel that is theirs and that absolution. So, I mean, and that's something that I would say do every single Sunday. And you know, this of course, but, but that's the beauty of, right. That's, that's the beauty of, of um, having a, yeah. a divine service and having an lectionary and having, having the, good know, hymns, and, good hymns too. Yeah. yeah. Preaching are right. our, our people preaching to each other through the hymns. Yeah. But you are not antinomian. You're you're gonna you're gonna tell us that, right? You, you can't just preach a sermon without any law. I like, and I said that. I I, I did say that you yeah. you can't do that, and you especially don't want to do that every day or every Sunday. But there are going to be times where, you know, as you're faithful to the text, you got to be faithful to the text, and and there and like I said, there is benefit to having those other aspects within and smattered throughout the whole entire service so that they're not without. It's not as if the law is not there and the gospel is not there. Um, just like there are some times in texts where you're like, there's just a lot of law. That it just is a lot of law. And and Yeah, preach the text. I get it. Yeah. Anything else, Dave? The- Go ahead. A lot of the law that's here is directed at the world. You know, it's the enmity that's been placed between believers and unbelievers. And so we we recognize that that's a part of the text, and so we endure because of it. And we're better. <laughs> In Christ, we are more than conquerors. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> I bet you there's not soda in there. I, well, some of it's soda. All right. Good. It was a very good sermon. Good job.
Ready for Mark? Now let's get uh, Jesus getting tempted. Slander. Preach the text, boys. Preach the text. <laughs> that was a comment for us on uh, on the, the chat. Thank you very much. Mark 1, 12 to 15, the Spirit immediately sent Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels were serving him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. Dave. So, um, I... I opened with uh, an example, I guess, uh, of when I'm I'm outside working in the heat, and and people tend to to ask me, you know, how are you doing? Would you, would you like some water? Are you about to die? Uh, because it's it's obvious that I am suffering. I don't hold up very well doing physical labor, especially not in the heat. And and that what we have here in the the text with with Mark is is the reality, you know. And so just as, as it's obvious when I am working outside that there's the reality of that that suffering and that endurance. What we have here with Mark is the reality of of Christ's temptation. It is something he went through. It is something he endured because, well, you can look at me and say, that's a guy who's not going to endure physical labor well. With Christ, it's the opposite. So often people look at him and, and say, did he really suffer? Was he really tempted? Was it really hard for the Son of God to endure these things? And Mark wants us to understand the same thing that God wants us to understand, that, yeah, he was tempted. And and so he doesn't include all of the details like Matthew did, because Matthew was, uh, you know, a, a Levite writing to Jews. And so he has all of that Old Testament, you know, background and context that, you know, he doesn't really share with the, that Mark doesn't share with the Romans to rely on. And, and so he focuses just on the reality. It happened. He endured it. He, he suffered this temptation for, for us as, as our perfect substitute. Be, beginning at, at the beginning of his ministry, because he, he wanted to be able to to sympathize with us because he wanted to be our, our substitute. And that's what the, the verse of the day talks about. We, wanted, he had, we have a high priest who endured, who's, yeah, you guys know it. So uh, as we look at this then, what is temptation? So I wanted to backtrack to make sure everybody understood that temptation is something that seems like a good idea, but it really isn't. So I talked about you see a person lose or or drop a $20 bill. Seems like a good idea to keep that $20 bill because then you have $20, but it's not. 
you know, or, or temptation can be, you know, Oreos, where, you know, sometimes it's a temptation because you shouldn't have Oreos, but sometimes it's okay to have Oreos. So, so we, we have this struggle where we don't know. And, and this is one of the things where we see the separation between God and us, that, that Christ always knew you know, what the right thing to do was and, and when it was okay and, and when it wasn't. And, and and because of our sinful nature, this is where we fall short, that we just don't know when when some things are okay and when some things aren't. And, and then you have broccoli, where you might not think of broccoli as a temptation, but I have it on good authority that broccoli is good for us and we should eat broccoli, but I don't want to. Um, and, and and so there are the good things we should do, but we don't. And, and those are temptations just as much as, as the bad things we want to do and, and do. And, and that's why Mark focuses on the reality of Christ's temptation so that we know our Savior. You know, right from the beginning of his gospel, and then so we can see it all throughout his ministry, that that he comes to do his ministry as, as our savior and as our our substitute under the law, who who sympathizes with us. And the amazing thing about this is that he, as he undergoes his temptation, you know, he knew he was going to pass, and and so he's here making himself responsible to us, you know, and that this is the type of test where, um, you know, we, we've all gone through this type of test where you have to demonstrate your ability to do something to the world. You know, you, you take a driver's test or, or you, you go to a job interview or, or whatever. You, you want to get something or you want to accomplish something. And so you demonstrate to people you can do it. And, and, and so here Jesus is doing it and demonstrating it to us. This is what he's doing. He's going through the temptation and he's demonstrating it to us so that we can know he did go through the demonstrate. He did go through the temptation and we can see him doing it perfectly. And this is the humble attitude, the servant's heart that Christ has for us in the reality of his temptation that he's willing to serve us in that way. And, and so that we can also know then when he goes to the cross, it was not for his sins, but it was for all of the times when you know, we gave in to temptation and we failed in our battle with temptation. Then as we struggle, struggle with, with temptation um you know we we know what the true answer is you know that that we're we're looking at this choice between you know what are the devil the world and my sinful nature saying and, and what is god who truly suffered temptation in my place perfectly as my savior what is he saying and who do i want to go with and, and you know, the answer is obvious when you're sitting here in church or, or talking in a podcast. And, and, and sometimes it is then when we face temptation in the world. But 
but sometimes we still fail. And then, then when we fail, we still have a high priest who endured that temptation perfectly for us and is able to help us in our weakness. That's the amazing thing of, about looking at our Savior as he was really tempted and, and truly tempted in our place. Yeah, it's an interesting approach to, <clears throat> I mean, because Mark does not give you all the details. And so, you know, you your your gut instinct on the text is to, to bring in the synoptics and to start saying, and there was this test, and then there was this test, and then there was this test. And Mark's like, let's not focus so much on the test. Let's get to the cross, because that's really going to be the pinnacle of, of what we need to talk about. Um, I honestly thought you were going to, to pick up on the, the, the wild animals. Um, that he was in the he was in the wilderness with the wild animals, and and this is Jesus living for us. We are in the middle of life with wild animals. Um. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, with all this stuff going on in, in Brooklyn Park the past two days or so, I kind of should have, I think. But uh, no, I I just really wanted to focus on the reality of yeah. Christ was tempted. He endured all of these things, and, and he did it for you as your substitute, as your Savior. He did it perfectly. Yeah. Is there a linking between—it's interesting in the reading how Mark, um, he combines this idea uh, or the, the temptation uh, in the wilderness with the proclamation of repent for the kingdom of God is near. Is there is there a significance in in how Mark kind of just rushes through the moment of temptation to rush to that proclamation? Yeah, and I mean, th there's a lot I did not get into because you'll notice I only preached on like the first half of verse 13. Um, but Mark really puts all of that section together, you know, right after the the baptism. Um, at once, he, he's led out into the desert, and and now we get into the kingdom of God has come. You know, the, then you have the temptation. Now the kingdom, John is in prison. The kingdom of God has come near. All of those are linked together and, and really just squished together as Mark proclaims them, because you know, the kingdom of God is God's rule in our hearts, and it it comes to us by faith. And, and it's really, you know, that question I, I ended my, my sermon with, or was towards the end of my sermon, you know, that now we see God not as a, a judge or a, a threatening ruler or, or somebody standing over us with, with guilt or anger, but you know, he's the one who was truly tempted in our place out of love and, and in humbleness demonstrated that to us. And, and so we listen to him because of his, you know, because of the life, death and resurrection of Christ. And, and so he rules in our hearts by faith and that's the kingdom of God. And, and so it has come to us. It has come near to us. And how beautiful that you have a Lord that that was tempted in every way as we are, yet did not sin. And you see that and how that equates with the kingdom of God being so close. 
right? How is the kingdom of God so close in the rule of our heart? Well, the very Lord who was tempted just like we are. Yeah. And and you look at how the world wants to pervert that message by making, yeah. making fun of it with, um, on in movies where it's, it's this prophet of doom trying to make everybody afraid, repent for the end is near and everybody should be terrified. And, and it's like, and it is a great and a terrible day of the Lord, but everyone, not a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> but there's two parts of it and, and, and they're making a caricature of it by only having the law, essentially. Right. I do like how Jesus says, keeps it the focus on himself. And like you said, Dave, the rule of, of Christ coming to us in our hearts through his word. Like he doesn't say, well, look what I did in the wilderness. You guys can do this too. <laughs> I set the good example for you. Yeah. Now you guys can go, you guys go out in the wilderness too. Yeah. You go, you go out there and try that. You, how about no, them apples? Says, yeah. Instead he says, repent from you trying that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and believe the gospel because I did it. And here I am. I'm, a, I'm coming near. I'm coming to the cross. I'm coming to Calvary. And now, now you have good news. Yeah. And it truly is good news because, you know, you, you have not just the forgiveness of sins, but you also have new life where you have freedom to live apart from sin for good reasons, not out of fear or worry or guilt or shame but out of love for God, out of love for your neighbor. Yeah, and, and isn't it interesting, you know, in the accounts of the temptations of Jesus, no one else is around to be like the fanfare. It, it's not like you have all the disciples and they're watching this happen. It's it's just Jesus out there facing what we face. Um, because a lot of times when we're tempted, it we're tempted alone. And and he faces what we face, um, and and he conquers it for us. Um, just as just as when temptations enter our life and we face them alone, um, but he conquered them for us, and so now we're never alone when we have to face them, because he did it. Yeah, absolutely. And and to think that, and this is one point I did cover in my sermon, but I didn't mention to, to think that. He kicked Satan out of heaven, and now he allows Satan to be the one to persecute him and, and to, to put him through these trials for our sake is mind-boggling to me. Um, Just wait until he kicks him off the earth, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that'll be That'll be an awesome day. Thank you no, very much, was, Dave. That was a really good, really good sermon. I was, I have often not even looked at Mark because it's like, well, it's not even does doesn't even mention any of the temptations. But if I were to do Mark, I'm not even sure if I ever have. But if I were to do Mark, that would be the approach I would take. Would be like, let's just talk about what temptations are. Let's just talk about a, a savior. And then if I'm living in Park, Brooklyn Park or nearby Brooklyn Park or anywhere in Minnesota or California, I would talk about the wild animals. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, the good news. We have no wild animals in Wisconsin. No. <laughs> we do. We do. We do. Yeah. 
We do. <clears throat> so, oh, it was a good job. Exciting. So that's it for Beyond the Sermon for today. This coming Thursday, join us for number six of our eight, six out of eight differences that divide the Christian church. And our topic for today, for that day, would be predestination. You can um, either join us online or join us uh, whenever is convenient for you on Facebook or YouTube or download us from Podbean, Casting Nets Podbean. If you like the content that you're seeing today, give us a like. We don't need the validation. We're doing this alone. I mean, that was the, the theme for, for Will Harley's comment is we're always alone. So we're doing this alone. We're not doing it for validation. Yeah, we're in the office alone too. <laughs> I mean, no one ever wants to come and do a live show anymore. Yeah, we we're doing away from live shows. So like we, we're in person talking. It's a, let's say, uh, have the internet. We have all of the validation we need just f- contained within ourselves. But if you want this content to go somewhere else to someone else to see it in their algorithms, make sure to like, or subscribe. Or uh, give us uh, five stars on Podbean or whatever podcasting app you are using, and we'd appreciate that. Otherwise, bless your Lord's blessings on your week. Blessings, brothers, as you prepare your sermons tomorrow and for tomorrow and for Sunday as well. We'll, we'll. We will join the two of them, two of them, next week. I am not preaching on Lent 2, so it'll just be the Dave and Will show next week, Tuesday, as they talk about Lent too, and and thank you very much, Tim, for for your encouragement and for uh, sharing a Deutschlander quote. I very much appreciate the Deutschlander quote. So, and I gotta say, I still hear that in in his voice, in Deutschlander's voice. Just okay. Blessings.